Welcome everyone to Monday Motivations with that motivational guy, Tony Canavero. Hey, that's me. Every Monday I'm bringing you motivation, mindset, training, book reviews, powerful guests, and sometimes some randomness from my entirely too many hobbies. Uh, for show notes, head on over to thatmotivationalguy.com slash podcast. There might even be some free gifts around there if you look around. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and make sure you get your regular Monday dose of motivation. Now, let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to That Motivational Guy uh, podcast. We're super happy that you're tuning in to listen to us today. I'm really excited about today. I've got somebody here joining me that um, I've actually looked up to for a very, very long time. I'm not sure if he knew that or not, but uh, it is true. And uh, when we were chatting a little bit earlier, I told him I'd probably be ahead in my business if I would have hired you as a coach 10 years ago when we first met. Um, but here we are anyhow. So today I have with me Vince Fowler. Uh, he is, I've got this from your website here, Vince. I love this. A TEDx speaker, rugby coach, commando, business coach, and ADHD dad. I think that's a fantastic description of a pretty well-lived life so far. So uh, welcome. Glad to have you, Vince. Thanks very much, Tony. Happy to be here. So uh, Vince has got a really broad background that we're going to try to delve into and pull out some nuggets for you guys today that are listening. But what I want to start with is uh, at the point of this recording, we're uh, in late April, and so we're still, we're right in the middle of the throes of the COVID-19 challenge and the pandemic, and by the time this actually comes out, we are hopefully, cross our fingers, going to be starting to come out of it, uh, but I think there's some real wisdom in something that Vince is kind of teaching right now, which is hashtag embrace the suck. Where did that come from? The embrace the suck language and narrative mantra comes from my time in the military. I was 19 when I joined. I got out at 26. Um, I'm 50 now. So uh, that embrace the suck has been a part of my life for a very long time. And, um, you know, I think it probably popped up now and then in athletics, but certainly during the, as COVID showed up and I started to see people you know, a lot of people really buckle under the pressure of it all, which is a normal. Um, it's nothing like we've ever seen before on a global level. Um, we've all faced challenge, but it, it just sort of started to pop up and I just started saying it and it started to catch wind and you know, now it's on my t-shirt. So for those who are just YouTube listening, man can a, see that. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, you know, for those who can't, they're only listening. My t-shirt says embrace the suck on it. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a part of our language at our inner house and in my community, among my clients suck. We cannot avoid the suck. If we want to do anything positive and productive, we cannot avoid the suck. So embrace it, which is different than saying suck it up. You know, suck it up is, can be absent of compassion, absent of empathy, absent of discretion, but um, embrace the suck is for what it is. You know what? We've got a, in the military, we've got a 25 kilometer route march to do. <laughs> Guess what? It's going to suck a little, get at it, you know, fill your pockets full of Jolly Ranchers and let's roll. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. My man, one of my mentors, John Maxwell talks about everything worthwhile is uphill. Oh, for in sure. Life. It's, it's you a know? very similar kind of concept, right? It's worth if having it's up physically uphill. Here. It's emotionally uphill, right? Yep. 
Yep, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your background. I mean, 19 into the military and what happened since that time? I got out of the military at 26. Um, so I'd completed seven years and I was offered another 13 year engagement. And I thought, I'm not going to do that. I loved the military. I would, I don't regret any of my experiences at all, but I wasn't, I was sort of disenchanted at the time. So I took an exit or a release as we say, and I went into sales. I had already had some experience in sales. Actually, um, many don't know I was an Amway distributor and I, I learned a ton in there around uh, reading and association and such. So my very first job coming out of the military was selling photocopiers and fax machines. Started off with Canon and then later Toshiba. Did that for three years. Uh, I, I spent a total of nine years in professional sales before I left that. So photocopiers, law enforcement equipment, gym memberships, uh, mascots. So depending on the environment, it was anywhere from a, you know, a gym membership is a 15 minute or less sales cycle. Whereas a mascot is probably a few weeks. Um, firearms for a police, for a police department can be as much as two years or more, mm-hmm. barely less, unless they're just replacing one. And um, so experienced a whole lot of different sales. If business and selling was a relationship, we had an ugly divorce. I ended up at a private school coaching rugby and athletics and athletic development, personal, uh, sort of like a personal trainer. Well, mm-hmm. in many ways, I was a personal trainer mm-hmm. and uh, strength and conditioning. But what I really fell in love was love with was the mindset of the athlete. I, parallel to all this, I've always played rugby mm-hmm. and played at a pretty good level. Played for Calgary, played uh, in a Super League. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always knew that, and certainly from the military, mindset was always, always, always a contributing factor to our success or our failure. Mm-hmm. So being having coached athletes for four years and really gravitating on the mindset of the athlete, you know, at what point does this athlete give up and quit? Mm -hmm. Um, Where does this athlete cut shortcuts and try to cheat a little, you know, and the downside of sports is we are allowed to cheat. We'll get a two minute penalty for hooking, Mm -hmm. but you know, you can cheat. It's part of the game. Right. right. And if you don't get caught, you just play on and the, you know, the other team throws their arms up and the fans boo because the referee missed it. So, you know, they're rewarded for cheating. And um, so the mindset of the athlete, how do we, you know, how do we navigate that? Um, 2008, the economy goes sideways. 2009, I lose my job at the school. And I spent 16 months unemployed, go through my own mindset journey. Mm-hmm. Come out of it working at a business coaching firm, started largely in business development. And eight months into that, they sent me to the United States for my certification. And I've never looked back. I, 2012 is when I went into my own private practice. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think we met shortly right around that time, right? Uh, that 2008, 2009 time period, just when you had, I think you were just fresh into it. I still probably have that original business card. I can't even remember <laughs> what event we were at that we met. But I, I, we've kept in touch off and on over the years. And, and social media, we've kind of probably... I followed you a lot more closely um, since, I mean, you're, if you guys want to really learn and get some entertainment, follow Vince on Facebook. Uh, (laughs) Heavy on the entertainment. (laughs) Yeah. He's a fantastic uh, follow on Facebook. So the transition from, uh, you know, going from 
the military into sales, then into you know athletic coaching, then into business and uh, personal development coaching. You know, what was that? Was that something that was a deliberate choice? Did you fall into it? What were the roadblocks that you first when you first started? What were the roadblocks that really kind of reared up and, and tried to trip you? Uh, my own thinking, mm-hmm. you know, uh, really. I have a high school education, a formal high school education, barely passed, you know, 51% is a pass. So I just gave him a thumbs up. That, I mean, (laughs) so that a lot of jobs, a lot of employers were asking, even in sales, you know, they're asking for university degrees. I remember I was selling photocopies at the time. I was not super excited about it anymore. I mean, most people don't last three months, six months. And I was three years in and I was really looking for a change. There was something about the environment that I did not enjoy. It wasn't the cold calling. I, it's not that cold calling sucks. It's just the, you know, no one wants to buy a photocopier, yep. right? Everyone wants to buy a mascot. You phone any athletic department on any sports team, professional or collegiate, mascot conversations are fun. Even in the police, um, ammunition conversations are fun. Firearm conversations are fun. Photocopier conversations are never fun. And I do like fun. Uh, so I do remember applying to be a beer rep for, for big rock and I had a, a personal connection. So I thought this would be a really great opportunity, but he played the policy card. He said, well, it's our policy that you have a university degree. And I remember thinking, well, what does a university degree tell you? And he said, well, cause I mean, it's selling beer. It's not like, what's the degree you're looking for? Especially when they say it must have a degree in any discipline. Right. Well, that's when I get the hairs on my, on the back of my neck flare up and, so what do you want from this university degree? Well, we just want to know that you've been able to commit to something, that you've demonstrated an act of learning. And they had a few other you know, things. And I said, well, how about seven years in the military? How about a six-month deployment overseas? How about annual testing, fitness testing, mental testing, um, you know, job-related testing? How about that? But there's no piece of paper that comes from the military to say, I have a quote degree, unquote. So it became a bit of a crutch. You know, no one's going to hire me because I don't have a degree. Uh, the crutch quickly, I say quickly, but it, it eventually broke away. And I basically said, F it. I'm just, I'm just going to start doing what I want to do. Right um, I'd love to say that that happened overnight. It didn't, but um, <laughs> took, it took a while. So the biggest barrier really was me. Um, I got hung up on the absence of my formal education. I now realize and know, like I have clients with MBAs and, and economics degrees. Um, I think I even had a client for a time with a PhD. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, you know, they're really smart at what they know. And, mm-hmm. and they took the big deep dive, you know, two miles wide and 50 miles deep. Mm-hmm. But it's a very, very specific education about something. Mm-hmm. But I have this lifetime of education around mental fitness. It may not be formal, but I don't care. And, you know, so anyways, um, and then just realizing I don't have to wait for anybody's permission to go do what I want to do. Right. So the absence of a degree was a bit of a hang up and kind of waiting around for permission. One of Seth Godin's books, pick um, the Icarus deception was a great eye opener. Pick yourself, choose yourself, Stop waiting for someone else to pick you. And that was, that was a real great book for me to read. And ironically, a lot of people with ADHD do actually, in fact, pick themselves. They're 
a lot of self-employed people, a lot of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. they are they, uh, a common denominator is ADHD, mm -hmm. which by the way is a learning difference, not a learning disorder. So Agreed. I'll, uh, I'll battle that fight all day long. Yep. Me too. That's, I think been for me personally, it's been one of my blessings and my superpowers is the fact that, um, focus, I have to really concentrate to focus and mm -hmm. I'm able to do many things well, um, without having to focus in on any one specific thing. So I think that's been a gift, um, that I've been given rather than a challenge. What, what people don't understand about ADHD for those who don't have it. And even some that do is we can hyper-focus very easily. It's not always on something productive. Like yep. if somebody's wrong on the internet, you know, ADHD is a very helpful resource to go down the, the useless rabbit hole of, you know, battling people who are wrong on the internet. But if, if put towards something really productive, you know, um, ADHD, that hyper-focus re works really well. It's kind of like a Ferrari engine with bicycle brakes. So yeah, right. transitioning from one to the next is where in lies my challenge. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I would never want to have a life without ADHD. Yeah, I, I agree. It's It's been a huge part of who I became and no regrets. Challenges in, in probably similar to you, uh, I think my grade... 11 math mark was a 51. That was a courtesy so that I didn't have to go back to that guy's class again. Right. Um, you know, so I can relate to, to, to that, uh, very much. Tell me a little bit about Vince. You talked about the struggles, um, when you were moving from different sales jobs to other sales jobs, uh, and then you went into business coaching, uh, and you talked about the lack of a degree did in mindset issues, did that rear its head in some form of uh, imposter syndrome type situation for you at all? It did. Early days when they hired me, they hired me to do business development and I had sold a lot of things. I had mm -hmm. sold, like I say, you no know, firearms and, and ammunition and gym memberships and mascots and photocopies fax machines. Um, I'd been in two different network marketing organizations. You know, the first one being Amway, the second one being an organic juice product out of BC. So selling was not a problem. Business development was never a problem. And I, once I found my groove, I was good at it. When they said, you know what, we like what we see. You know, you ask a lot of real interesting questions. You're a natural coach. We'd like to get you certified. And that all felt great until I got certified and I realized, shit, I don't have a university degree to back any of this up. I've never owned and operated any kind of a, a business that, you know, outside of my own home. Mm -hmm. I've never owned a brick and mortar business. I've never dealt with landlords. I've never dealt with, you know, employees and payroll and hiring and firing. So, you know, what do I know about leadership? What do I know about coaching? And so I had a bit of a pity party and I felt very much fraudulent. And, um, it, I, I remember sitting across my employer. I was a, an employee coach and it just means I don't own my own franchise license. And I see, no, why me? And he gave me this laundry list of reasons why he thought I would make a great coach. And mm -hmm. he, he, <laughs> He told me about, well, look at all the experiences you have in the military. Like none of us have been in a civil war. None of us have been on deployment. He talked about all of my years. I, at this time, I played rugby for 21 years and I'd coached for 15. So none of us have been in championship games like that. Um, none of us have been under those kind of mental pressures where if you don't perform, you get kicked off the team or off the starting lineup onto the bench. And I've experienced all that. And he just went down this list of things. And he said, you know, people who own businesses 
sure, there's the people who have their MBAs and they research for two years, they go kick it and they blow it up. But most people are, you know, they start a business out of some personal desire. Mm-hmm. They get really good at what they do and then they start selling it. And next thing you know, their business is built on a house of cards mm-hmm. because they don't understand the mechanics of business. Mm-hmm. Um, you under, We can teach you the mechanics, but you bring a level of mindset and understanding that none of us have really experienced the same way you. So therein lies the asset. I wish I recorded that conversation because I'd, I would have listened to that every day. So um, 90 day, you know, I've, I started coaching clients. Uh, it's, it was great right out, of the, right out of the gate. Like I said, I was really good at business development. So I was, you know, I signed the most clients a rookie coach had ever signed. I um, earned the most uh, revenue a, a rookie coach had ever earned in the firm. And um, I'm up against some pretty great competition, you know, right, you know very great other colleagues. But in 90 days, it literally was all gone. I, I was so afraid to put my client under pressure, positive pressure, that I think, I think they all left because I wasn't who they thought they bought. Right. And I realized this was a mindset issue, not a competency issue. And I stole a credit card basically from my wife and I bought uh, some time with a, with a um, psychotherapist and a clinical hypnotherapist who worked with former athletes and, and business owners. So I spent a lot of time getting, I said, you know, I want all this negative energy in my head to be gone. And if it comes in, I want it to escape really quickly. And that was, that was, uh, 2011 sometime. Well, let's explore that just a little bit more if we can, sure. Vince. What kind of because that's, uh, that's interesting. I was about to ask you, what was the key or what did you do to break that, which you've already shared a little bit. Yeah. Besides hiring the, the uh, clinical um, help, which is, you know, when you need it, you need help. You got to, that's what coaches and mentors are for, right? Uh, whatever titles on their card, someone that helps you through a hard time, you know, it's important to have that. What, Somebody who doesn't, who is not going to go out and get a, a, uh, a hypnotherapist, what are some things that you did then, concrete, actionable tips that you would give somebody today that's trying to break that negative chain of thoughts? I mean, that's probably changed in the years, but what are some things you would share? If so, well, that to the way you've boxed that question in, um, you know what, I'll say this first, if someone's not willing to go get professional help, then good luck because left up to our own devices where we can't see, we can't see the forest through our own trees. Everyone's got ego and everyone's got blind spots and you will not see it if someone's not outside of it, who, who has a, you know, a skill set, whether it's, you know, from a doctor or not, someone with a skill set to recognize and put those blind spots in front of you. So, but, um, the other experience I have was the military. I, the military is, you know, a senior sergeant is just like a coach. Mm-hmm. That person is mentoring you from the time you come to the unit all the way, you know, and you, I experienced a number of different senior NCOs in my time in the military. So on my right forearm, um, I've got a tattoo. It says two commando mm-hmm. and that tattoo means everything to me. It tells me all this suck that I put up with just to get to the military, to stay in the military, to compete in the military, uh, deployment, everything else like that. That tattoo is a constant reminder 
that I've done hard things. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I was really in, a, in that mental rut, so to speak, I just remember looking at that tattoo and I said, if I can do that, I can do this. So to the listener, go back in your memories and recognize where did you do hard things? Someone in your, in your past, you did some really hard stuff. And if you can do that, then you can do this. Right on. Right on. For starters. The second thing is I had read a ton of books. Uh, I probably read How to Win Friends and Influence People, I don't know, eight times. But I started reading, a number of years ago, I'd started reading uh, unknowingly positive psychology. And so there's an author, Kelly McGonigal. She's a, a research psychologist out of Stanford. She wrote The Willpower Instinct. And to, I started really understanding the way the brain works and how willpower works and what willpower fatigue looks like and what recharges it and what depletes it. So I became very curious. I, and I realized even as an athlete, I'd, I had once hired a, a sports psychologist to work with me in my rugby game. And I remember everything she had said. And I just, okay, I got to do this. It's like the voice, you know, the words, the words we say to ourselves about ourselves when we're by ourselves. These are by far the most important words we ever hear. Mm-hmm. That inner narrative never shuts up. So I hope that um, I hope that the listeners back the podcast up and re-listen to that last statement uh, and and take notes on it. There's if you get nothing else from the rest of this talk or from what led up to it, that statement alone can shape what's going to happen for you in your future. You, you talk a lot about being, uh, when we were chatting, you talk about being almost militant in the way you discipline and police your self-talk and the self-talk around you and your family. Tell me a little bit more about that. This comes from the military originally. Athletics just built on it. So here's an example. Um, I'm a year out of the military. I've joined a rugby club in Calgary. I'm in the locker room, and it's one of our very first games of the season. And we're all dressed. We're getting ready to go out. You know, we've already gone out and done our practice and everything. So we've come in to get our jerseys and the guys are gearing up. And one guy says, you know, I wonder how many points we're going to lose to the Hornets today. And I'm like, what the F did you just say? And he looks at me because I'm new to the team and I have no experience with the Hornets. He goes, well, we're playing the Hornets. Yeah. And. And he goes, yeah, we always lose to the Hornets. So I'm just curious how much, how many points we're going to lose today. And I am in my mind, I am furious. Like what the, like you cannot be on my team if that's your headspace. <laughs> if I had been in the military and I went on deployment and I thought, geez, I wonder how many guys we're going to lose on this deployment. They wouldn't even let me go on deployment with that kind of a mindset. I wouldn't even be in the unit with that kind of mindset. So yeah, I've become really militant about the language. So the military built on it. The military started it. The, the um, athletics playing at a high level for Calgary. Um, the next step up is a national team. So, right. um, and I played with guys on World Cup teams and everything. Right. Mindset, you can have all the skills, but if the mindset is fractured, person, uh, uh, any athlete with, struggling with confidence is not going to execute very well. Right. So, so I was you, furious when you're, let me just, I want to take that from, from the military and the athletics into you're, you're out and about on the, on the streets of Calgary um, and you're walking around. What are some of the things that you commonly hear random people say, or even if you want to get into what you hear from clients or whatever, that you just want to grab people and shake them and say, do you know what you're doing yourself? 
Uh, one is they complain about things that they cannot control. I hear people all the time complaining about, you know, uh, we can go back a few years just for some relevance. Uh, a new Alberta government comes in, the NDP come in, and uh, one of their first orders of business is to increase minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people start to, a lot of business owners started complaining about this increase, which was six months away. Minimum wage is going to destroy business. It's going to destroy my business. Yeah, keep talking there, Sparky, and it will. Like, keep talking like that, and it will. Because as soon as someone says, this will destroy my business, the brain unknowingly starts going to work on the way they can screw up the old business. And then to complain about it, um, about things that are outside of their control. The minimum wage increase is coming. Mm -hmm. So prepare. you got a six-month lead time to prepare for it. And then you have another year for the next increase, another year for the next increase, another year for the final increase. So minimum wage increased by 47% in three years and lots of businesses um, found, found a way to work through that. The ones that struggled and just sat around and pissed and moaned about it, it became a self-inflicted wound. So back to the words we say to ourselves about ourselves when we're by ourselves are so critically important. When people go negative like that, um, Trevor Mawid, who is a high-performance coach for professional athletes, uh, Russell, Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks, that would be one of his clients of many. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he, he says negative thinking, negative language is weaponizing you against you. Can you repeat that for me, please? Negative thinking, negative language, it's weaponizing you against you. I've read it and I've heard the same talk and, and uh, I just wanted you to repeat it for our listeners. Cause I think that that's the, one of the most self-destructive things I see in the world today. There's of course, there's physical things that we do to ourselves. There's, a, there's substances, but that self-talk is we just constantly beat ourselves up, uh, especially when no one's listening there. So Trevor talks about some examples of people who have, you know, knowingly or unknowingly ruined their athletic career by their own self-talk. So I'm listening to, uh, there's a, there's, um, there's a program on Netflix. It's an hour and a half. It's all about, um, the, um, CrossFit games in Dubai and in, and it follows a series of professional CrossFit athletes. And there's this one American lady, really neat lady, obviously super strong. And they're documenting a bit of her past as she comes into this particular tournament. And um, she had broke a rib in one of the previous games. And so she was going into the next game, healed up. And she's, and you know, the media says to her, Hey, so, you know, now that you're recovered, any concerns about going into these next games? Okay, so the media asks the questions the media asks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's our responsibility to respond the way we want to respond. So she says, it would really suck if I broke a rib in in the next games. Guess what happened? Two weeks later in the games, broke a rib in the games. Don't say stupid shit out loud. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's the whole militant thing. And in in my house, in my family, and and I'm sure my, my, everybody in my family, um, because this is being leveled up exponentially as of late, rolls her eyes every time I talk like this, but respectfully and compassionately, I don't care mm-hmm. because I believe in this so much. Don't say stupid shit out loud. My wife and I were out for a morning walk 
last week, every morning, 7 a.m. away we go. And I said, you know, because the current um, physical distancing protocols in Calgary and across Canada, and I thought, you know, man, this sucks. Like, this will be the first summer we don't go to Kelowna. And then I went, holy shit, what did I just say? <laughs> I caught myself and I said, this is the perfect time for my wife to say, don't say stupid shit out loud. Mm-hmm. There's an example. I do not want my words to fuel a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, as, as early as yesterday or as late as yesterday, I'm preparing for, so I'm, I'm talking to a, a friend of mine. She's the vice president of Western Canada for investors group. Mm-hmm. So she's in charge of all the division directors, all the regional directors, all the, all the advisors are under her chain of command. And I'm wearing this t-shirt embrace the suck. Mm-hmm. This is three weeks ago on a phone call. She goes, tell me about the embrace the suck t-shirt. So I tell her, she goes, I love it. Our, our whole team needs to hear that message. So in, in six days, I'm on a cross Canada call. I'm speaking over, over teams and, um, great. We want you for four weeks in a row. So yesterday was the second one and I'm preparing my slide deck. I, I, I've gotten away from PowerPoint for quite a few years now. I, there's a reason on my LinkedIn profile It's called Crayola Ninja because mm-hmm. I just use a flip chart and markers. So now I'm forced back into PowerPoint because of the condition. Okay. So it sucks, you know, and embrace it. Um, but instead of using PowerPoint, I use an application on my iPad, which allows me to treat my iPad like pen and paper. Right. And I started to draw out all my slides because I know exactly what I want my slide to look like and say, and I can draw it better than I can manipulate a PowerPoint program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the clock and I'm, I realize I'm starting, the time is tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. <laughs> and old Vince would have panicked, froze, confidence would have been broken. All these things that are all mental would have sewered my mindset and I would have shown up like a bag of hammers, like completely useless. Right. And one of the things that I've added to my own toolbox is, is uh, Trevor Moad talking about neutral mindset, neutral mindset, three questions. What happened? I said yes to this project. Um, and I'm de- one down. I got three to go. What's happening now? I'm still in the midst of creating my slide deck and I'm down to 25 minutes. How many slides do I have to still build? Um, and I started, and then what's going to happen? So I, instead of saying negative things to myself, like, Oh shit, this sucks. I'm going to, this is, I'm going to, this is going to be screwed. I just reminded myself, Hey, this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen next. I'm in control of what I'm in control of. And I will do it. This will work out. This will work out. This will work out. And I'm literally talking to myself out loud. Trevor talks about, and we've all known this, if anybody's following the mind, you know, the positive thinking, the self-help industry, mm-hmm. we've all known that thoughts, the, the power of our thought is amplified when we speak it out loud, when we write it down. Mm-hmm. And we've, what I like about how Trevor Moad articulates it, he says, you know, to, to think a thought, to say a thought out loud, a positive thought amplifies to, to, to 10x. Right. But a negative thought is four to seven times more. So that's 40 to 70 times more powerful. And while positive thinking may not work, negative thinking always does and it works negatively. Right. That's not just Trevor Moad. That's Gary Mack who wrote Mind Gym, um, who's also a sports psychologist. 
and I refuse to say negative things. It's bad enough that they show up in my brain, um, but I refuse to say negative out loud. So, so I've become, I've been quite a, I've been quite a, a militant human being about it all. And like I said, compassionately, I don't care. Yep. I think there's a lot of um, takeaways for listeners in that. <clears throat> so how long have you been teaching mindset? I would say knowingly, so it started when I started coaching rugby in, in uh, 98. So when do you have to stop teaching yourself? Never. It never stops. It never stops because um, the brain is a, you know, there's a part of the brain, the lizard brain. It's not my friend. I mean, it used to be back in the day of saber tooth tigers scanning for threat. And it's, a, and it's, it's my friend if I'm crossing the road and, and it's late at night and it's saying, Hey, you know, look both ways before I cross the street. Like, but most of the time the lizard brains pointing out threats that aren't even real. It, it has no capacity to recognize a real threat versus a perceived threat. Mm -hmm. It just, it just thinks threat. And most of the language that it communicates to the rest of the brain is, is quite negative. Mm -hmm. So we can't turn that off. And other than going to sleep, we cannot turn it off and we shouldn't, but we can combat that thinking by realizing that any thought in our head. And, you know, here's an example for the, for those who cannot see, and we're just listening, I'm holding a pen in my hand. And if, if we were all to hold a pen in our hand and look at that, that pen, it's pretty obvious. The pen is the pen and I am, I am me. We are not one in the same. Mm -hmm. And if I had the ability to push this pen safely inside, you know, through my ear, inside my head. And the pen is still the pen and I am still me. The pen is inside my head. The pen is not me. Follow? Yes. Okay. So people, that pen represents a thought and the thought is not me. No more than the pen is not me. That's fantastic. It's a thought. I'm just the first one to hear it. That's it. A thought is I'm just the first one to hear it. And if I treated that thought, like I treat this pen, Oh, look at the pen pass, you know, look at the pen pass me by, look at the leaf blow in the wind, look at the car drive by my house and not allow that, not allow that pen, that leaf, that car to emotionally charge me up. Well, now we're dealing with like, I don't know, epic level ninja, like Dalai Lama stuff. Like a thought is just a thought. It's not me. Yep. And wow. when I realized that the thought is not me, complete immediate overnight game changer done. And that's not anything to do with positive thinking. That's just recognizing that I am not the thought. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fantastic. So much wisdom there. I want to just take a, a, a slight shift a little bit. Um, Cause you know, we've talked a lot about mindset, which is obviously anybody that's listening to my podcast more than once is going to be focused around mindset and, and, and those things. But you spend a lot of your time, correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of your business is built around nuts and bolts, coaching, uh, for, you know, business owners, self-employed entrepreneur type individuals, correct? Correct. What are some common myths when it comes to hiring a business coach? Cause I mean, coaching, when you first started coaching, doing coaching in the way you do it was relatively unusual. It wasn't real commonplace, but now, I mean, I can spend five minutes online and get a life coach diploma. Um, so what are some common myths about real effective high-level business coaching? That is a great question. Uh, some of the top-of-mind myths would be that 
you know, the business coach is going to save my business. Big fat myth. No, no, I'm not. You are. I just have an outside perspective. I'm just going to pull your head out of the toilet. Uh, I'm going to hold your hair when you puke. Uh, so you can, <laughs> so you don't drown in your own vomit of, of negativity or of frustration or overwhelm. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, the entrepreneurs, Mark Cuban, Dallas Mavericks, you know, Shark Tank guy. Mm-hmm. He once said, um, oper- you know, entrepreneurs drown in opportunity all the time. So a really good, effective coach is going to recognize when their client is chasing their tail, chasing a bunch of shiny objects. That's a, that's a behavior that's common with a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners. Mm-hmm. So one myth is definitely that the coach is going to save their business. That's not true. The coach is going to reflect on what they see and ask you, hey, I noticed that this particular thing is going on. This particular behavior is happening. Are you aware? Um, A coach, you know, another one is that um, business coaches, they're all the same. Well, geez, that couldn't be further from the truth. Just go look at our own dating life. Did every single person we ever dated, were they all the same? Of course not. They might've been the same gender. (laughs) Sometimes maybe they weren't, Mm -hmm. but uh, beyond that, every single person I've ever dated was um, uniquely different and they treated me uniquely different from each other. So um, there's that as well. Um, A myth that a coach, I love this one. A coach has to have um, done what you're doing. Even John, John Maxwell, he's got this, uh, it was last week he talked about looking for a mentor and I agreed with a lot of it, but I disagreed with some of it. So Scotty Bowman, when I, when I hear people say I'm looking for a coach, but they've got to run a business like mine. Mm -hmm. So that person just put up a barrier to learning just by saying that alone. Scotty Bowman, who won nine NHL Stanley cups, as a head coach of a hockey team, five with the Detroit Red Wings, four with, I think it was Montreal or somebody before then. Correct. And then after that, he won five more Stanley Cups in the back office, whether that was whatever he was, general manager or whatever it was. So he's got 14 Stanley Cups. Never played hockey beyond junior A hockey. Uh, I think he was like 20 or something. So maybe like out, out east, I don't know what they call it here. We call it the WHL. Right. They'd gotten a concussion. And hockey was over for him. His playing career was over. The most winningest coach in NHL history to date never played in the NHL. How do you explain that? Conversely, you've got Wayne Gretzky. Played a life, played in a beautiful, you know, Hall of Fame athlete in the NHL. Not the greatest coach. Mm -hmm. Like, just isn't, right? Uh, Babcock, far better coach for the Canadian team than Gretzky. Does that mean Gretzky's a bad person? No, it just means he wasn't able to transfer those skills. So the, the myth is I can only hire a coach who's done what I've done. No, look for a coach who has experience under pressure. Pressure is pressure is pressure. How, how we all handle pressure is a behavioral thing. Um, you're looking for a coach that recognizes pressure and how it affects the body, how it affects the mind how it affects their behavior and how they communicate with their team. So those are, those are three immediate um, myths. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of others, but those three really pop up in my that, head. Right away. 
super helpful. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I think that um, everyone goes into any sort of proposition or, you know, if anyone that's listening right now has ever thought about it, we all have this book of preconceived ideas about whatever it is that we're looking at. And it's helpful to have someone kind of dispel that a little bit. So that's some kind of interesting questions for you now, Vince, some things that may be a little bit unusual. What's your favorite word? Hard. Why? I start every day with something hard. When I, um, <clears throat> the, I saw this meme, meme, mem, whatever we call them. Mm -hmm. And it said, you know, being out of shape is hard. Getting into shape is hard. Choose your hard. Yep. And I loved it immediately. And I changed it immediately to match my own life. And I said, you know, running a business that isn't profitable is hard. Mm -hmm. Building a business that is profitable is also hard. Mm -hmm. Choose your hard. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, grow, you know, getting married and having a really thriving, meaningful, deeply connected marriage. That's hard. Mm -hmm. ha living in a marriage that is toxic and frustrating and filled with all sorts of unkindness and sadness. Also hard. Mm -hmm. Choose your hard. Yep. You know, raising kids is hard. Raising assholes and <laughs> living with them is hard. Choose your heart. Like we can go down that road all day long. Uh, when we, Angela Duckworth, she wrote Grit. Fantastic. Inspired by Carol Dweck, who wrote Mindset. And she says in her book, like in, in her house, the children have to do one hard thing every day. And the parents are responsible for doing two hard things. So every morning starts with a walk, not hard at all. But when I come home, I make my bed, I get in the shower. And every shower finishes with right now, it's about on average, about three minutes of cold water, the coldest I can get it. And I do not like cold water. There are all sorts of physiological benefits to cold water shower, but I specifically do it because it's really hard, really uncomfortable. And if I prime my brain with doing something hard at the beginning of the day, then my brain is reminded I can do other hard things throughout the rest of the day. Fantastic. That's, that's really good. What sound or noise do you love? Popcorn. <laughs> I love the sound of popcorn. Oh, my mouth waters right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> what, what, I also, what, I also what, like birds chirping in the morning. Oh so, yeah. 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 That's yeah. a beautiful thing for sure. What one profession other than your current profession would you like to explore potentially? Uh, Scotch distillery. <laughs> I love if you, if someone's watching this, like over my shoulder, there's a series of different single malt Scotch whiskey bottles. Nice. Um, and I love them all, you know, sherry cask, bourbon cask, uh, smoky, peaty. I like it all. I, I don't it. like bad Scotch, but I love great Scotch. So. <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say about you when you arrive at the pearly gates? If heaven exists, what would God say to me at the pearly gates? What would you like to hear God say about you? Uh, what would I like to hear God say? That's a great one. You know, I grew up in the Lutheran church, which I, I find organized religion. This is my narrative, not, not, not our listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in a very judgmental environment. So old Vince probably would have said, uh, you didn't do it enough. You didn't do it good enough. I don't know. I I have this have this negative thing in my head from old thinking, but new thinking would force me to say, "Good job." 
Mm-hmm. You used up everything in the tank to the very end. Uh, you, you know, the last thing you did was wink at your wife and nurse as you took your last breath. Nice work. Oh, High five, buddy. Let's go have a scotch. <laughs> what, what, what one thing would you want my listeners to do today? Do something hard. And then exercise a little self-compassion if you didn't do it very well. Who cares? Just do it. If you suck at it, so what? You know, like suck exists. Let's let's just do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Where can we find you, Vince? Where can people Vince, connect with you? Yeah, vincefowler.ca. I am Canadian um, by birth. <laughs> uh, I am a yeah, just vincefowler.ca. Hit Google, vincefowler.ca. Can't you cannot not find me. Easy peasy. And your preferred social media choice? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. I I enjoy Facebook and and Instagram, but LinkedIn's my sandbox. Yeah. Love it. Fantastic. Listen, I appreciate you being with us today, Vince. Um, I gained a ton of knowledge today. A ton. I'm going to listen to this. I have to listen to it because I'm going to edit it, but I'm going to listen to this (laughs) multiple times. And I really hope that our listeners will do the same thing. It's long enough that it's probably going to be in two parts. So make sure we tune in to part one and part two. But uh, I really appreciate you being here today. Any last thoughts? You know, I would encourage everybody, including yourself, to uh, whatever is meaningful to you, just exercise the courage to do it. That's it. Showing up is 51% of the battle. And if you like odds in Vegas, 51% is a winner all the time. So yeah, just, just try. Well, screw that. Yoda said there is only do or do not. There is no try, but showing up is 51%. And if, you know, Tony, I've been on other podcasts before you're, you know, your, how you do it, your thing is excellent. I've known you for a while, watched you do your thing and you're good at it, buddy. You're making a difference. And I just encourage you to continue because you and I will never know. There's going to be a listener. I mean, I was in a stadium of 80,000 people at an Amway convention, 1994. Mm-hmm. And Pat Riley, who was the head coach of the Miami Heat at the time, um, you know, he said a bunch of things. And I was like, holy smokes, just totally tweaked my thinking, right? I will I'll probably never meet this guy in real life. It's on, who knows? Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But everything that has happened since then is in part because of that wisdom he shared. So when you're doing your podcast, just like Pat Riley said then, you're saying now, you are unknowingly helping so many people. So keep at it, man. I, uh, I encourage you all day long. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. And that's, that's why I do it. I love to help protect people from their own inner challenges. Let's just yeah. say so. The strategy is such a small percentage of the equation. The headspace is, is exponentially more. So Absolutely. Thanks very much, Vince. I appreciate it. To my listeners, listen, make today a fantastic day. You got this. Have a good one, guys. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to That Motivational Guy podcast. I hope you got some value from this. Uh, As my thanks to you, please accept a free gift from us. Go to thatmotivationalguy.com slash change and download a free webinar course that my wife Vanessa and I did on how to change anything in your life. Anything. No strings attached. Don't even have to enter an email address to get the course. It's just our gift and our thanks from us to you. If after 
going through the course, you do get something from it, you'll have a chance to subscribe to more good stuff at that point in time, but only after we've proven that there's some value for it. Again, thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review pretty please, and then go out and make it a fantastic day.